Hi, Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome back. This is episode 16 of North Star Big Book. I'm happy to have you, and we are on page 30 and more about alcoholism. At the bottom of the page, this chapter, just to remind the listener, is about really looking at the insanity of alcohol and that the thought that comes before we pick up the drink, which is the mental obsession. So we're really going to be focusing on our thinking. The way bottom of 30. We are like men who have lost their legs. They never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. On the top of 31, I wrote the word delusion because they use this word a lot and I want to define it. So I wrote delusion and I wrote persistent belief in something false. Persistent belief in something false. And then I also wrote, 100% of people who relapse in AA, 100% of people who relapse in AA are sober before they relapse. 100% of people who relapse in AA are sober before they relapse. When one of my sponsors shared this with me, I was like, what? It was so simple, I didn't understand it. And if you think about it, Every single time somebody picks up a drink after they've been sober for a period of time, they do it without the physical craving of alcohol. They do it because of the mental obsession, which means they are sober when they pick up the drink, which means if I pick up the drink today, the reason why I would pick it up is because my mind told me the lie that I should. It says on the top of 31, we have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree, I underlined, there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. It says science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. I have to say, in the 19 years I've been sober, I've heard a lot of different cool tricks about how you can stay sober or how you can... um drink like a normal person and the way that I know that I'm not a normal person is when I've heard these things like a pill that could what if there was a pill and then it would make it so you only wanted two drinks like two glasses of wine and you would not want any more you didn't need any more after that and this is how I know I'm not normal when I heard about that I thought if I took six pills then I could have 12 glasses of wine and that's how I know that I'm not normal it says, despite all we can say, I underlined, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe they're in that class. So again, they're talking about real alcoholics, which we're going to talk about again and again, but we identified that on 21, and that's someone who has lost the power of choice. Where it says, are not going to believe, I underlined the word believe again, and I wrote on the top, we believe the lie. We're not going to believe we're alcoholics because we believe the lie that we're not, and we believe the lie that we can control it. And I wrote on the side, because we have no defense against the mental obsession. The reason why we will not believe the facts is because we, do, we cannot, because our mind needs to believe the lie. By every form, I underline, by every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. So this is all about believing the lie. I underline the rest of the paragraph. And here's... The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was written by the first 100 men and women, they're giving very clear directions about anyone who wants to go drink and that's able to do that with control. It says, if anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking 
can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. Next to the word people, I wrote tolerance to remind me I need to be tolerant of other people and drinking as an institution because I don't want to seem like a witch burner. And I wrote on the other side, this person, so the person that's able to drink like a gentleman, this person doesn't have physical craving and mental obsession. So this is someone without a physical craving and without a mental obsession. That's why they're able to drink like a gentleman. And that's why we're not supposed to judge them because if they're able to do that, then they're not a real alcoholic. Here are some of the methods we have tried. Remember, this is written in the 1930s. I can look at some of them and be and relate to them. And there's also ones I've done that are different. Drinking beer only, limiting the number of drinks, never drinking alone, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never having it in the house, never drinking during business hours, drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums. Accepting voluntary commitment to asylums. We could increase the list ad infinitum. On the side of that paragraph, I wrote, alcohol was a solution to every problem I had. Alcohol was a solution to every problem I had. Above this next paragraph, I wrote the first challenge. So I wrote that in big letters, the first challenge. I underlined that. And then I wrote physical allergy. So the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the first 100 men and women are telling the reader, which is alcoholic number 101, us who doesn't know if we belong here or not, what to do if you want to find out if you really have a physical allergy. And this is why when I got sober, if people complained about being sober and they didn't want to be sober, I would hear about you know old timers that would give new guys a $5 bill and tell them they'll buy them their first drink. And they're not saying that to be mean. They're saying that if, if you don't know the truth about your alcohols, and maybe you need to go out and find it. This is where it becomes very, very, very dangerous to substitute a drug as a drug as a drug. Because if I'm sponsoring someone who is a heroin addict but wants to be in AA, and we don't know how to deal with that, so we say, sure, come on in, and we say, just substitute every time you hear the word alcohol for heroin, but they can't relate but they keep doing that anyway. And then I tell them to go try some controlled heroin use and try to shoot up and try to do it a couple times and then stop on your own and see if you can do that. I could be potentially killing somebody. And I have a really good friend who's um, recovered in the program of Narcotics Anonymous, and he told me to send them there. It doesn't mean that somebody who um, did drugs cannot be an AA. I did a lot of other things, and I identify myself as a real alcoholic. Um, I don't talk about my drug use in Alcoholics Anonymous because of the singleness of purpose. Um, I do share it with sponsees I work with, and I identify in the book when our both of our co-founders use drugs and how it brought them down quickly. <clears throat> but if we have somebody that strictly only did drugs and does not identify as an alcoholic and does not have a problem when it comes to alcohol, we might potentially be doing them a disservice by not directing them to someone that they can relate to. And there is great recovery in other programs. So please don't hear me saying that if you did drugs, you're not welcome here. I did my own fair share of everything. Um, but I have to identify as an alcoholic in order to be able to take the directions that they're going to tell me in the book, which are this next paragraph. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but I underlined and starred and circled. You can quickly diagnose yourself. 
I have a way to diagnose people through the book that doesn't require them to control controlling their drinking. Um, I take them through the first couple of chapters. I show them the mental obsession, physical allergy. I share it from my own experience. And then I take on a page 44, which we'll go to in a couple of weeks, which gives very, very clear questions and, and instructions to figure out if you're an alcoholic or not. But the, they're telling us here what you can do. It says, you can quickly diagnose yourself. I underline the next sentences. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. So again, they're, and I wrote on the bottom of the page, alcohol, not drugs. They're specifically talking about alcohol. Try to drink and stop abruptly. I underlined that. Try it, I underlined, on the top of 32 more than once. I wrote on the top of 32, physical craving is activated after the first drink. And I underlined the word after. Physical craving is activated after the first drink. So I cannot physically crave alcohol in my body until I put it in my body. So if I want to drink and I have been free from alcohol for more than three to seven days and I no longer have alcohol in my body, the reason why I want to drink is because my mind believes a lie that I can or that it'll be different. We activate our physical craving, which makes it harder for us to be sober, once our mind tells us the lie to pick it up and we put it in our body and as soon as we drink, our physical craving is activated. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. It may be, I underlined, worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your conditions, of your condition. I wrote next to that gift of desperation. So the, the gift is in the desperation that we can experience after getting a knowledge of the full knowledge of our condition from having a few drinks and stopping. And the worst thing that they're talking about here is jitters. Obviously, there can be worse things that can happen when I put alcohol in my body. I can dr drive a car and kill somebody or myself. I can um, pick up other things. I can cause harm. I can do tons of other things. But they're specifically talking about alcohol, about not getting drunk, and about trying to control it and see how you do. And they're telling me that it might be worth feeling miserable and going through that experience to know your truth. The gift I've been given is I know my truth because I've been to the hell and back of trying to control it, and I know that I can't. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early on in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. I underline this sentence. So awesome. So there's this guy in AA who's 10 years sober. He comes to my home group, and he talks about this part of the book, and he says, he says to us, because there's a bunch of young people in my group, I don't understand if you guys know that you can't drink, that it's not safe for you, that you have a history of genetics or whatever in your family or what happens to you when you drink, why can't you just dr stop drinking? And this was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous that's sober and I, and I brought him to page 32 and I read this, this sentence, but the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. And I wrote on the side, they still have the power of choice. They still have the power of choice. My parents got sober when I was 13 years old. I had already started drinking and experimenting. When I was brought into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous through them for years, in and out, in and out, introduced, this is Carly, future alcoholic, um, you would have thought that after growing up in an alcoholic home and seeing the damage that alcoholism can do, that it would have been enough for me to not drink. And then you would have thought that the information I was given in Alcoholics Anonymous from my parents about how dangerous it is for me to drink and how I have a genetic disposition and blah, 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 blah. None of that mattered because I had the best time ever when I was drinking. And I didn't decide, oh, I don't want to drink because I don't want to end up in AA. I just said, I'm not going to end up in AA. 
I'm just going to figure this out. I'm going to do this differently than they did it. And I did. I did it totally differently and I almost killed myself. Um, it says, we have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism, I underline the rest of the paragraph, were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. Next to overpowering desire, I wrote, prior to developing full intensity of disease. Prior to developing full intensity of disease. So the person that they're talking about here is an example of someone who wanted to not drink because they were getting in trouble and it was causing problems in their life. But they, they at this point, when they made that decision, they don't have the full, late stage, full-blown alcoholism. They still have the power to choose. And the person that we're going to read about here is um, an exception. I was able to go for periods of time without drinking to prove to myself and to other people that I could. And whenever I was able to do that, I would say, see, not an alcoholic, because I just went three weeks, and real alcoholics can't go three weeks. This man of 30 um, was the first story I read in the big book that gave me chills. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, I underlined, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. I underlined in red, would get nowhere if he drank at all. I wrote next, I wrote on top of nowhere, if he drank at all, sane thought. He has a sane thought. That's a thought that he is using his whole mind to see. He's looking at his full mind, with his full mind, and he says, yeah, this is not a good idea. I'm not going to get where I want to in business if I drink. So he made a sane decision with his full mind to not drink. And I underlined, once he started, he had no control, whatever. And in red, I underlined, he had no control, whatever. He knew that once he put alcohol in his body, a physical craving was activated. But at this time, he still has the power of choice, which means the mental obsession at this point was not full-blown. So he lost the power. He lost the physical ability to control it, but he had the power to choose to not drink, which is why he did this. I underlined he made up his mind, and I wrote next to that two things. I wrote, believed the lie, and I wrote, still has the power of choice. So because he made up his mind and was able to follow it through with action, he had the power to choose. I made up my mind all the time. I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to drink again. I'm never going to go out with this person again. I'm going to write this down in my diary and remember on this date, look at how horrible I feel, and then I would forget the promise I made. This guy was able to follow through. He made up his mind, which means he believed the lie, that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man. And they say this because he's an exception. He remained bone dry for 25 years. I wrote on the side, on the verge of alcoholism, because he's got the physical allergy when he puts alcohol in his body. He can't control it. So I wrote, on the verge of alcoholism. And I wrote, no mental obsession yet. No mental obsession yet. Um, and I made that yet there. My mom always says yet stands for you're entitled to. So if you sit in meetings and you hear stories and you compare yourself and, oh, I've never gotten a DUI. I've never broken up a marriage. I've never done this to my kids. I've never lost my job. The word yet is after each one of those and you're entitled to. Um, all of those things are just yets down the road for me. It says he retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. So he stayed off of alcohol for 25 years on his own willpower. I underline the next sentence. Then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. I wrote on the side, believe the lie. 
And then above the word belief in that first part of the sentence, then he fell victim to a belief. I double underlined belief and I wrote the lie. So he believed the lie that since he'd been sober for 25 years and he's shown sobriety and self-discipline, he's capable of drinking like regular people. And he believed that. And then he picked up the drink with that belief in his mind. He believed the lie. I've had sponsors that have believed this after being sober for certain periods of time. It says, out came his carpet slippers in a bottle. In two months, I underline the words two months, he was in a hospital. I underline the word puzzled, and I wrote above that mental obsession. Puzzled and humiliated. I underlined, he tried to regulate his drinking for a while. I wrote on the side, mind telling him it'll be different. Mind telling him it'll be different. So he uses his mind to try to regulate his own mind. The problem is my mind is the problem, so I can't use the problem to fix the problem. That's like trying to clean up a glass window with a soaked chocolate milk rag. It's just not going to do it, the job. It, the problem is worse than the solution. I mean, the solution is worse than the problem. So this solution he has is to regulate his own drinking. It says, making several trips to the hospital in the meantime. I underline the next two sentences. Then gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. In red, I underline found he could not. That's the powerlessness. Above all his forces, I wrote his mind. So he used his mind and he tried to gather his mind that was so smart in business and he found he could not. That's what happened to me. I was able to get whatever grades I want, whatever relationship I wanted, whatever I wanted from my family, whatever I wanted, you know, to get out of the dorms, to get into this class to get into whatever I could get what I wanted with my own manipulation and talking and tiring people out and I figured I could do that with alcohol and when I found out that I couldn't I was baffled um I wrote on the side full-blown alcoholic with brutal mental obsession full-blown alcoholic with brutal mental obsession so since he tried every known means in his mind and he couldn't do it, that's because his mind is now the problem. The mental obsession is is completely taking over. And what's so crazy is he only had been drinking for a short period of time at this point, which means when people tell us that our disease continues and progresses even if we stay sober, this guy stopped at 30 and was able to, and now he can't at 55. I underlined... Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. And I underlined in red, every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly. I underlined in red, was dead within four years. And next to the word years, I wrote 59. So at 59, he died of alcoholism. I wrote on the top, died from alcoholism. And above, dead within four years, I wrote doomed to an alcoholic death. Doomed to an alcoholic death. One of my sponsors says that every alcoholic who does not make it to AA is doomed to an alcoholic death. I wrote a bunch of stuff on the top of the 33. I wrote, we drink on the lie. I used to think that um, we drink on the lie was true for everyone except people who are suicidal because they know what's wrong and they do it anyways. But I decided after looking into it more within my own self that even suicidal people, which was me, don't drink on the truth. We aren't seeing the truth. We think we're seeing the truth, but the truth would also take into account what could happen to someone if we recovered. And this is not that. We are drinking on the lie that we can do this and we can handle this. 
I wrote problem is the state of mind before the first drink. The problem is the state of mind before the first drink. The problem isn't I heard a song on the radio and that triggered me into drinking. The problem isn't I hung out with some old friends. The problem isn't my mom yelled at me. The problem is what my mind is like before I make the decision to pick up the first drink. And the reason why that's so important is, given the tools I'm given in Alcoholics Anonymous, which are the steps, as long as I inventory, clean house, connect with my higher power and help others, my state of mind, even when I'm going through really hard stuff that's really overwhelming and scary and hard and frustrating, can get to a place of truth and calm and guidance for my higher power because my problem isn't in my mind. So this is a form of insanity that told him it's okay to drink. That's what happened to him and that's why he died. I underline the next two sentences. Mo this case contains a, mo a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. I double underline the word believed and I wrote on the side, believe the lie. Like I mentioned before, um, I've had a number of sponsors who 10 plus years of sobriety believe the lie that they were able to drink like normal people because they've been sober for so long. Um, I wrote on the side something that's kind of long. I'll read it and if you want to write it, I'll repeat it a couple of times. My real problem is not that I have a body that can't process alcohol. So we know that one of my problems is I have a body that can't process alcohol, which is what we hear a lot in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings is don't drink and go to meetings. That's great information for the physical allergy. It does absolutely nothing for my mental obsession. So I wrote, my real problem is not that I have a body that can't process alcohol. My real problem is not that I have a body that can't process alcohol. My real problem is I have a mind that tells me I can. My real problem is that I have a mind that tells me I can't, which is the mental obsession. So my real problem is not that my body can't process alcohol. That's an issue, but the solution to that is just don't drink alcohol. My real problem is that my mind, when I'm trying not to drink alcohol, tells me I can drink alcohol. And then gives me great suggestions that I think sound really, really rational. It says, but here's a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. I underline the next sentence. This is the first 100 men and women. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. And I underline again, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And I wrote about that truth. That's the truth that the first 100 men and women have seen. You cannot change us into, you can't take a, a cucumber, put it in all of the, the jar with all the liquid and all whatever they put in there, close it up, turn it into a pickle, say, oh, you know, I really wish it was a cucumber again, put it in different chemicals and turn it back into a cucumber. Once it's chemically altered, like we are chemically altered with alcohol, we become a physical allergy, mental obsession alcoholic. Commencing, which means beginning, to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be, I underline the rest of the paragraph, no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. This idea, this little quiet lie in my mind that if this happens, I'll be able to drink, or once I get to this period of sobriety, I'll be okay. We also have that mental obsession in our mind in AA, when we are sober for a certain period of time and we say, my life is better, I don't, I haven't drank in 10 years, I don't need to go to meetings anymore. I'm just going to go once a year to announce my anniversary and get my coin. And we believe a lie that we can do that and we're going to be okay. 
It says young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop as he did on their own willpower. Remember, that's our power of our thinking. We doubt if many of them can do it because, I underline, none will really want to stop, right? I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous and alcoholism and the dangers and all that misery from bitter experience when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, and I did not want to stop because I was having the best time at everyone's expense. And if you tried to stop me, which people did, I just swore at you and told you to get out of my face. So they don't want to stop because they're still having fun. It's still doing the trick. And hardly one of them, I underlined, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. And that they're talking about is the mental obsession. I wrote on the side, lost the power of choice. We can't stop because we're having fun and we don't want to stop. And we also can't stop because our mental obsession tells us, no, I got this. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, had been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. I underlined and highlighted in red, to be gravely affected, which means to die from alcoholism. So I wrote on the side, to die an alcoholic death, and I put a star next to it, to be gravely affected, and underlined it in red. To die an alcoholic death, I underlined, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time, nor take the quantity some of us have. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is telling us to die of alcoholism, you don't have to drink a long time, nor drink as much as we did. This is particularly true of women. Potential female alcoholics often turn to the real thing and, I underline in red, are gone beyond recall in a few years. Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at, I underline in red, their inability to stop. And I wrote on the side, lost the power of choice. We, which is the first 100 men and women, who are familiar with the symptoms, see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, on top of 34, but try and get them to see it. As we look back, we feel we have gone on drinking many years beyond the point which, where we could quit on our own willpower. Here is the second challenge. I wrote on the side of this paragraph, second challenge. So the first challenge was a physical allergy challenge to see if you have the physical allergy to see what happens to your body when you take a few drinks and you try to stop. Keep doing that. Try a couple times. See what happens to your body. See if you have a physical allergy. This next challenge, I wrote on the side, second challenge, and I wrote mental obsession. So if you don't feel comfortable telling a, a new person to, or someone who's not new who wants to drink and doesn't know if they have a physical allergy to go out and try some controlled drinking, this is telling me a second challenge, which is the mental obsession, which does not um, require someone to drink. I underline the next two sentences. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year and anything else. Leave everything alone. Nothing that can change my mood. If he is a real alcoholic, which means physical allergy, mental obsession, and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success, which means little, little chance of success. So they're saying in here, all right, if you don't know if you're an alcoholic or not, if you don't know if your mind is the problem, Try not drinking, try not doing anything for a year, and let's see if you can do it. And what the book is saying is if they're real alcoholics, we don't think that it's going to be able to happen, even though they just told us a story about the guy that was able to do that. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remain sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. We're going to read this next paragraph. And I wrote above the next paragraph, 
This determines if you need to do the work or not. I'm going to go a little bit over 30 minutes, so I apologize. This determines if you need to do the work or not. So this is the loophole. I wrote on the side loophole, and I made an arrow to this paragraph. So if you don't want to do the steps, which is our program, you don't have to. The book is telling us who has to and who doesn't. For those who are unable to drink moderately, which is anybody that comes to AA, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, I underline that the reader desires to stop. So I wrote above that, do you want to stop? Question mark. So you got to know that if they want to stop. If they don't want to stop, stop working with them. I underlined the next sentence and I highlighted it and I put a star here. This is the loophole. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis without the steps depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. I underlined in red, lost the power to choose. And I wrote on the side, can you choose not to drink? Question mark. Can you choose not to drink? So this is someone who has lost the power of choice. So the book tells me you do not have to quit upon a, not, upon a spiritual basis, which means the 12 steps, which is our spiritual basis. That's how we do it. You don't have to use the 12 steps, a spiritual basis, if you're able to choose when you're going to drink and when you're not going to drink. Because that means you might just be a hard drinker. The problem is I was not able to choose every time. I was able to choose sometimes, not every time. It says, many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. I underline the next sentence. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And in red, I underline utter inability to leave it alone. And I wrote on the side, believe the lie. We cannot leave it alone because we believe the lie that we can handle at this time. I've got it or what's the use anyhow. Or we believe the lie, I've tried AA and it doesn't work. I've done AA. But the question I always ask is, have you been taken through the book from the first cover to 164 by somebody who does the work out of the book continuously and you've done every single thing they've said continuously and you've not been able to stay sober? I've never, ever seen someone that's done that. The the um, rate of people who stay sober that do the work out of the book and don't stop doing the work out of the book is 100% success. So we're going to stop there. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful. And I hope you have an amazing week. It's totally your choice. I'll see you next week.